when you were in the office, it wasn't like you were getting eight hours of work from everyone. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to everybody else. Welcome to the New Nomad Podcast, hosted by Alan and Andrew of Insured Nomads. Join us as Alan and Andrew interview and explore the community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Tune in to incredible discussions with thought leaders each week that will help you take full advantage of the cross-border remote work lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the New Nomad Podcast, the podcast that focuses on the location-independent worker or just person who wants to see the world. We have a great guest today. Colleen Clarkson is joining us of BlendMe. He's a remote work advocate. He's going to have some really interesting ideas for us on assessing the employee experience remote employee experience. Also, that's a very interesting thoughts about how different employers have brought people back to work. And then they've decided with the variant that never mind, we can head back to remote work status. Andrew, it brings up a thought. I'm going to bring in my co-host, Andrew Jernigan, that we've seen a lot of folks recently only kind of look at the negative side of the remote work experience, which is strange given that there's a negative side of actually working in the office, i.e. if you're in the office and people are sick, the experience spread, you know, a lot of walking around and maybe not necessarily working quite as hard. The tax issues of traveling into a high tax area where you might have city wage tax after sitting on a bus or a train for an hour. Kind of interesting how that's played out. What's your thoughts on people putting their fingers on the scale, so to speak, on remote work? Yeah, this is interesting because people that are new to it now that the pandemic has hit, they're talking about something that many others have done for a decade or many more. Remote work and hybrid is not new to many companies, while it is to others. I know you've been in it for years in a very remote system of work, and I have in various environments, but yet others are caught going to their Zumba, their yoga class in the middle of the day, and the employer's thinking, what, why? But yet they're also getting 12, 14 hours out of folks that previously would have just stopped at a certain time and gone home. So it's the pendulum is swinging. So I'm really excited to have Kaleem in today and to give us some perspectives that I think some people are asking and looking forward to hearing his take on this. Well, you know, Andrew, one other thing before we bring Kaleem in is just think about this too with the child care issues, et cetera. There are some folks during the pandemic that you just can't take your children to daycare, drop them off. And if you make somebody come into work, the issues that you may have. So there's also social issues, family issues, et cetera. And I'm not saying folks shouldn't head back to work. I think we're seeing a lot of hybrid opportunities and a lot of people I speak to are very happy about that going in a day or two. But I also know many folks that are now with variants out there and some of the other issues saying, you know, I don't necessarily want to put myself in that environment. So why don't we bring Kaleem into the conversation? Kaleem, welcome aboard. Why don't you give a quick overview of how you became passionate about supporting the remote worker and some of your perspectives? Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan, Andrew, for having me on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to just talk about remote work with other colleagues. I'll try to give the shortened version because I've told the story a lot, but I would say in 2010 or so, my partner graduated from the University of Connecticut with her master's degree in human resources and organizations 
organizational development. She was having challenges finding a job. Everything was based around benefits and HR generalists, although her degree was more on the employee engagement, strategic HR side. Um, and there were no VP of people back then. They weren't director of people, VP of people, CHROs. I mean, maybe they existed, but they weren't as prevalent as they are today, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. So that in mind, I was teaching myself to become a Drupal web developer. Shout out to the Drupal community. I was at a Drupal con Denver in 2012. It was a talk from Matt Westgate from a company called Lullabod who does, you know, the Grammys website or did at the time and Martha Stewart big sites. And he was giving a talk on how his company was a virtual or fully remote company. I'm sorry. He called it a fully distributed company. And when he said fully distributed, I'd never heard that term. And he's shown pictures of all his family and all his colleagues who were working all over the country. And really it was their retreat, the picture of the retreat in Florida. And geez, I just found that fascinating. On the plane back, I started looking at books at what books I could read. Started with Rework, Jason Free, DHH from Basecamp, and then read The Year Without Pants, The 4-Hour Workweek. And then in 2013, I just approached my partner and said, hey, I think we should start employee engagement consultancy only for remote companies. So you were really ahead of the curve because there really was not a movement to remote work. There were remote workers. I keep thinking when you were at, at that beginning, it may not even been the comment remote workers, just people working from home. And I noticed that as time has gone on, you've done a great job building out is really an assessment tool for, mm. I think it's remote employee experience assessment that you've built out for folks that I think people should check out on your website. Talk a little bit mm. about that and how you built that because I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. So March of 2020, basically I started thinking about whether I should be doing this full time. We kind of did blend as a side gig and we were very, very specific as to who we'd work with. You know, we had people approach us and they weren't remote. We would only work with remote companies. So, you know, we were like, oh, are we doing the right thing? Cause there's not that many, you know, we were consulting with a few people here and there, but it wasn't a lot. But I guess as soon as the pandemic hit, we started receiving phone calls from high school friends, college friends, and even some of our clients saying, Hey, the whole world is going to be remote now. We're ahead of the curve, as you say, but I can't take all the credit. I've learned so much from everybody, the Drupal community, all these other organizations. Like Andrew said earlier, people have been doing this since the seventies, actually. And we use the term telework originally as it's a government term and an international term. That was something that we've kind of always used, but you know, we were looking at where our lane should be when I decided to do this full time in June of 20. And really it's about the employee experience. So the employee experience in general, it's been researched by Gallup and all the big fours and all the top consultancies. So pretty much the employee experience is the complete life cycle. It's from the day that an employee reads your job ad to the day that they retire or leave your company. And when we were sitting there, Jennifer, the CEO, and we were trying to figure out what's different because the employee experience works for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're remote, hybrid, on co-located, whatever. And what we kept like fallen back on was trust and responsibility. And of course, again, trust and responsibility is critical in any setting, but especially in the remote setting, we felt that the two foundational principles that the remote, that the employee experience should rest on is trust. So the employer has to assume trust, not trust is earned, right? Has to assume trust because you're starting off with not being able to see anyone. So the employer has to assume trust with the employee, vice versa 
versa, the employee has to trust the employer that they're going to follow through on everything that they said. So it's a reciprocal relationship there. After that, there's responsibility. You know, the organization has to take on the responsibility of ensuring that all the tools, all the policies, all the procedures, everything is set up, all the learning materials, engagement, development, all of those things are set up so that the employee can be successful. And then the employee has to be responsible, has to take on the responsibility of completing the task, getting the job done, but also taking on the responsibility of, hey, I need help hey, I need to work on these objectives. So we were looking at it and we were looking at the letters, trust, responsibility, employee experience. And we were like, why don't we call this tree? And we came up with our cheesy little analogy. It's, you know, you got to do the marketing thing. And we came up with this, you know, short questionnaire, the tree assessment, the remote employee experience assessment. And it's short and it's just some questions to kind of give you an idea. Um, you fill it out, it's free. And then you get an email with your score, kind of like with the happy and sad faces to determine what the employee experience is like, like at your organization. What's the link for that? If someone says, okay, I want to see the score, the show notes, but how can somebody find that? That particular tree. You can just go straight to our website. There's a button right on the homepage and you can click take the experience and our website is blendmeinc.com. This will yeah. be in the show notes as well, but that's blendmeinc.com. You've had your pulse on the, the feelings from the human resources perspective and on the perceptions of people going to remote work and how employers have communicated it, but also how people have received it. Can you give us your take on that? Well, there's a lot of good takes and there's a lot of bad takes. Right now, I think I saw a recent article or a post that something like 68% of organizations still have no plan of how to handle hybrid remote or have not even made a decision yet. That's a lot of organizations that have not communicated what it is that they're going to do. And I just feel like right now we're going through this major friction between employer and employee. And it appears to me that this friction is caused basically because of the control of time. And let me just kind of explain briefly. Hundreds of years ago, we controlled our own time as humans. We decided when to gather. I'm going way back. We decided when to gather. We decided when to hunt. And we were still tribe, still a community. Fast forward a little bit more. And a lot of times that was out of their home office. But it wasn't really until later on where railroads and other type of industries where they started providing where the office was created and then started providing housing for some of these other industries like the coaling industry and the mining industries and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you start seeing this progression of corporations determining when you're supposed to work. So then all of a sudden from then until I'm all messed up in the timeline here, but at some point it just kept going. It just kept going. You had the office in Great Britain years and years and years and years ago. Then it progresses. Now you're talking about in the late seventies, early eighties, the cubicle was invented. So all this time was about control of when you can work. And now that control of when and how you can work has been forced on the employee, not the employer because of COVID, there seems to be this lack of control of time 
And it just seems to me that organizations, they're not quite sure how to handle this change. This philosophical change is not going back. People have realized that they want control over their time when they can get that task done. Not necessarily if I'm going to get the task done, because that's still getting the job. You know, you still have to do the job. So it just seems to me that right now, maybe there's a fear, there's a lack of trust. I mean, change is hard. We all know change is hard. I just feel like that that is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of organizations, A, not even have a plan and not even communicate what their plan is. And then employees saying, well, hey, we've been doing this for 18 months. I've been hitting my numbers. You're not giving me any real reasons as to why I need to come back to the office. So You hit upon something that ties into the people we've had on this podcast, actually. We've had a lot of guests that have worked in a corporate environment who said, these folks own my time. Yes. I'm now going to go out and be a consultant. I'm going to be a remote worker. I'm going to work for myself. I'm a tax person. I'm a, a consultant. I'm this, I'm that. And if I go to Mexico and today the waves are good, I will surf. And tomorrow when it rains, I'll do those tax returns that I'm doing for my customers. And what I'm finding, and I think what you're talking about, I think is fantastic. It's really a form of time shifting that happens a lot in this remote work environment. We had a conversation, one of our podcasts recently about Big Brother trying to chase keystrokes. Well, when people are getting things done and actually the employees are coming back and saying, you shouldn't chase my keystrokes. You should see what I'm getting done. And yeah, if today is sunny and you chase keystrokes and you see I did nothing, I might be down here surfing, but then tomorrow I'm going to work 14, 15, 16 hours and get everything cleared off my plate. And in the old world, it would have been different. So I love your mm. comments on a couple of things I hit there. Big brother, people leaving to do their own things when the corporate environment is too onerous. And last but not least, I think you touched upon it one of when I was reading your LinkedIn post is the culture of either just let's just get things done as opposed to we need you eight hours sitting methodically at a desk as opposed to getting things completed. Yeah, Alan. And the other thing that I missed as you were talking, it came to me. We've been so obsessed with time. We've been obsessed with time. Of course, I understand that. Like it's a measurement. So it's easy for people to understand. But you know what we've lost is the value. And just back to control of time. We're talking about the control of my personal time. If I do a task, web developers deal with this all the time and other professions, lawyers, right? Like I've spent thousands of hours to become an expert of something. I've spent all this time learning this thing. If it takes me two minutes to do this task and there are no other tasks for me, just because it takes me two minutes doesn't reduce the value of that task that I'm providing for your organization and your company. So now what companies have done all these years is, okay, you're a data analyst. You have to do these data analysts. Oh, well, you know, I wrote a script, all those, you know, calculations, and it's going to take five minutes, whereas somebody else doing the same job might take 40 hours to do it. You don't congratulate the person and say, great job. Enjoy the rest of your week off. You pile more work on that person. Again, controlling the time, squeezing more value. Now, is that why companies in the United States are where we are today because of that mentality? Possibly. But I feel like we've had a big shift. You can still make a million dollars. You can make a billion. You don't need to make a hundred billion. I feel like there's a lot of greed out there and people are finally realizing I'm done with this. I'm going to do my job. It's going to be good, but you're not going to give me more and more and more and more and more work. There's no reward for people to do their job more efficiently. So that's what I'm hearing is that treating people with respect, trust, 
kindness, valuing humans versus exploiting. There's so much exploitation of labor that's taking place around the world just so that we can have so much profit in our devices, our iPhones, our whatever, that labor is exploited. And we've got to change that. And you've brought yeah, up sure. some great points in that regard, that trust factor of how long is the workday versus how much can you get done? If you get that done, respect that that task is done. You don't have to yeah. add more tasks. You don't have right. to fill up the plate just because they completed the thing. Like respect that person that wrote that script. That's great. You're really, really, really efficient and you did that. And you, maybe you shared it with the rest of the team and now we're all more efficient. Why don't you enjoy some more time off? And maybe after time, you know, we'll figure out a way to add something else. But like just continuously adding up, people are just fed up. But you hit upon, and we've seen it, there's France as put in some laws, I guess, or directives that after certain hours, the servers should be turned off at some corporations so people don't work. They're not forced to work extra hours. There's been a lot of conversation about a four-day work week. There's been conversations about studies that indicate most people only work about four hours and 22 minutes at work. Thank you, um, Alan. That's critical. Let's not just go over that point right there. I think that's a very important and critical point. When we're talking about culture, when we're talking about the employee experience and you're hearing these CEOs say you're not doing as well, managers talking about I'm spending more time managing. When you were in the office, it wasn't like you were getting eight hours of work from everyone. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to everybody else. The other thing is when you talk about the water cooler and our culture is eroding, well, were you evaluating your culture before this? Like, don't just give me these empty statements. Were you evaluating the culture? What were your scores like? Yeah. Evaluate your culture now. What are the scores like while you're working remotely? Give me an A-B test because there's a lot of empty statements about the in-office like four hours. You were working four hours. So why can't I work from six to 10 in the morning remotely and then go to the beach? The biggest positive I've seen about going into work was a Gallup study that seemed to indicate that people will like their job more, stay with their employer longer if they have a friend at work. Now, at work could mean in a remote environment, well, if I work at home, my wife is my best friend, she's here, or I've got my dogs, or I've got my neighbor, or because the work environment is so good, I can spend more time with my friends. But one of the big arguments I've always had back about why folks should come into work is, well, if you have a friend at work, people are going to be stickier, so to speak. There's going to be less folks leaving. But actually, I'm beginning to see people are developing relationships or they're allowed to have their family relationships be stronger when they're home. But also there's more ability to, you know, using my example earlier, hey, I'm going to work from six to 10 in the morning and I'll see you at the beach because I finished all the tax returns I'm supposed to do. So Kalima, I'd love your conversation on that. Maybe some of the relationships that you could still build in a virtual environment, or maybe the ones that just get stronger because you're not gone for 12 hours a day into an office. Yeah. So connections is a really important piece of remote work. And as much as I love remote work and as much as I'm an advocate, you can't be bliss to the fact that we are a tribal species. We've always been tribal. We've always rolled in a group and those connections have been researched and are valid. One of the things that we talk a lot about at Blend is the idea of work-life integration versus work-life balance. And the reason why I'm kind of bringing that up now is like, yes, I have my friends, my family, 
that's one connection. But in order to really connect with your employees, I do believe that there's something that you can't match without being in person. And to me, it's funny that Bumble, all these dating apps during the pandemic were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You have Bumble, you have Tinder, you have all these dating apps, relationship apps, even Lunch Club, for example. And you know what they all did? What did they all do immediately? Can you guys take a guess? Did they go to virtual dating? Bingo. They went to video. Bumble implemented video. All the dating apps have implemented video during the pandemic. And do you know what Whitney Wolf from Bumble said after, because they were really hesitant to do this because I mean, the whole point of dating is dating and meeting someone, sitting down and trying to build a relationship. Whitney Wolf said that people have felt more connected by first having a discussion on video, building that relationship in blocks, right? And then getting in person, it became a stronger connection. So back to remote work and connections, I'm not dodging the question now, I had to give those examples, but the idea is when you were going into the office, those connections weren't happening the way people are imagining them. You know, you went in, you talked about the game, maybe, or you talked about what was on TV. Then you went into your office, most likely, even if you were in an open office, you either put your headphones on, you got to work and you started jamming, and then maybe you went out to lunch. So there was a little bit of connection, but guess what? Those connections were not intentional. When you are in a remote setting and you're building some sort of relationship through doing your work remotely, and then the company has a retreat and that retreat is done well with more opportunities for connections, that is when they are really powerful. And that is because when you get together, the purpose of getting together is to build the connection. So it's more meaningful. It's way more meaningful to be intentional about like, let's get here together to do this versus uh, maybe we'll do this. Kind of like, you know, if you've ever done business travel, what was it like when you left your family and then you came back? Your significant other, your daughter or your dog came running up to you. They were excited. So I do believe connections are very critical, maybe even more critical in the remote workspace. But the difference is that, yes, you're correct. You can't build those exact same relationships that you could if you were literally hanging out with someone every single day. But what you could do, the value of those interactions can be much, 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 much higher because you're not mixing all of these different things for this day. You're going to this retreat and the purpose of this retreat is to connect with your team, to brainstorm, to meet other people. There's way more value when your communications and your things have intention. So good. Spot on. This is good commentary. You've done this. And in relation to some of the things that you've seen over the last year's consulting folks in this practice, what's one overlooked person, place, experience, or book that you think that our viewers watching or listening on the different platforms need to know about? For all the, the nomads out there, the travelers, let's start with fun. I like to kick it off with fun. The place that I've been that I think is just underrated is Nashville. To me, I don't like country music. That's not my thing. That's not my jam. I don't like country music, but I just felt like Nashville was really cool, man. Like it was just a cool place. It was nothing that I expected, you know, and I enjoy a beverage and I just thought that uh, Nashville was way cooler than I thought. It wasn't all country. I mean, of course, there's plenty of boots and cowboy hats and stuff like that, but it was just a much cooler place than I anticipated. So Nashville is my overlooked city. One quick thing I want to mention about yeah. Nashville, about music. You're right. 
funny because it's not just country music. I don't know if you know a group called Los Straight Jackets, but they're the yes. number one surf band in the United States. You'd think they're from California, but no, they're from Nashville. Yeah, there's so many folks there. That's a great call on. I just back to you, but I just wanted to say very good on Nashville overlooked in a yeah. lot of different yeah, ways. Yeah, everyone wants to go to Miami, New York. I get it. Go to those places, but don't sleep on Nashville. It's got multiple music. There's some hip hop in there somewhere, and then you got lots of singer songwriter. You got all things. So anyway, shout out to Nashville. Books. Right now, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goldman. Now there's two Daniel Goldman. I personally read the, which they both write on emotional intelligence. I'm sure both of them are good, but I read the number one bestseller, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Matters More Than IQ. And basically the whole book is all about like, especially as a leader today in this remote workspace, you have to be able to have empathy and be aware of all of your surroundings and how actions, how their mental state impacts everybody and then be able to read that stuff. It's just really fascinating as far as, as a society, how much we put on the idea of IQ, how intelligent you are, when actuality, the EQ, he calls it EQ, is more important than IQ because of how you're interacting with society. Like for you to be able to say, hey, I can tell Alan feels some kind of way by the statement. And we're all talking about acceptance. We have inclusion and diversity issues in the Black Lives Matters. And, you know, even with the vaccine and wearing masks and all of that thing, all of that, like just having emotional intelligence and understanding is more important now than it ever has. So yes, emotional intelligence by Daniel Goldman. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today. Where can people find out more about you? Obviously, obviously looking up Blend me or going to LinkedIn, but any other locations that you think folks could, could find out more about yourself? Yeah. yeah, I'm Kaleem Clarkson everywhere. So on Twitter, I'm Kaleem Clarkson. That's K-A-L-E-E-M-C-L-A-R-K-S-O-N. LinkedIn as well. And I don't share too much on Instagram. You'll just see pictures of my kids and my family. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And hey, if you just want to talk, you're having some challenges, your organization's having some challenges, moving to this workplace flexibility, or just want to make it better, feel free to reach out. We're always on the chat. Well, thanks again. And, and Andrew, as we always wrap up, what did you learn today that you'd like to share with the audience? I was definitely attracted and must confess, I went to type and look at that assessment, the tree assessment, the remote worker experience. I was hearing what he was saying. That's the one thing I thought, okay, I want everybody on our team. Since we run a globally distributed team, I'm thinking, I want to see everybody's results from this to see what they're <laughs> experiencing within our environment. The biggest thing is realizing to listen to people, find ways to, for them to speak, for them to express what they're going through in remote work and have an open ear in that yeah. process. It was tough as I was hearing him say things like, okay, I want to learn more and, and definitely something that needs to be on everyone's radar if it wasn't before and to keep that radar in tune to build that safe environment, even though it's outside of our walls for more and more of our people. My dad was with Liberty Mutual for many years and was always remote, except for a few years when he was at headquarters in Boston. And so I always grew up with my dad's office there and he would be traveling four days out of the week, usually three or four days out of the week, but would only go to the office probably once a quarter. So this is something that's new for some managers, but while the awareness of mental health and trust 
is probably newer to others. Yeah, I felt comments on TREE, Trust, Responsibility, Employee Experience, is an acronym that that people should really look in on. So fantastic job today. So we'd love to remind our audience that we feel the new Nomad is not just a podcast. It's a community of people, ideas, and spirit helping you take advantage of that location-independent lifestyle. We hope you keep exploring. We'd love to support you in that goal. Please take care and join us next week for another episode of The New Nomad. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to The New Nomad Podcast where we bring together an incredible community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. For more amazing tips to help you take advantage of the cross-border lifestyle, please visit us at insurednomads.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.